we return with another installment of the Commitment Issues podcast. Again, no Woody Womack. I am Rob Cassidy, joined by co-host Nick Kruger. You know, we've it, this has become a two-man show now. Uh, Woody is missing an action. For the foreseeable future, it will be Nick and, and Rob hosting the show, which I'm, I'm okay with as well. We've both been at our respective conferences media day. You were in Dallas at Big 12. Before that, I was in the wonderful city of Birmingham, Alabama for SEC. Uh, and there's no shortage of topics and non-topics and hype and everything else that comes out of these events. Uh, I guess we can start in Dallas since it was the most recent. Uh, what kind of struck you about this installment of Big 12 Media Day, which is always kind of a always kind of a wacky thing with dancing mascots and, and who knows what else the cheerleaders come to the thing. Boy, if you if you've ever seen a more lost group of individuals in one place, it was those mascots and cheerleaders trying to be some kind of relevant there in the middle of those of those media days. They were really just standing around doing a whole lot of nothing. Uh, yeah, for mas- some reason, the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve bring the mascots, and like, I guess the reason the SEC doesn't do it is because they have the insane fans in the lobby that are you know wilder than mascots. I mean, they basically are unofficial mascots. So maybe they don't think they need to, but, but yeah, the Big Twelve's always been a little bit nuts. They, uh, you know, they helped out a little bit. They were moving some furniture around as needed. There was some, um, you know, pantomiming and mocking <laughs> slingshots and things like that. <laughs> you know, just no- normal, normal stuff that really, you know, really just applied to nobody while we were out there. <laughs> But you know what? It's fun. I'll tell you, it was funny to see the uh, the Oklahoma State mascot walking around with that big, huge head and the big cowboy hat and uh, those lifeless big pools of black for eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> and toting around six shooters, right? Like, Texas right. Tech's mascots lead the. You know, I'll tell you what. Uh, there's a certain political party that wouldn't be too happy between the Texas Tech mascot and his guns and the Oklahoma State mascot and his guns. Uh, the Big 12 definitely leads the league in the right to bear arms, right? Like their mascot's yeah. really exercising that Second Amendment. No, and it's no coincidence we had the whole operation in, in Dallas in the heart of Texas too. So. <laughs> no doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. All right. Well, moving into you know maybe something beyond the, the cheerleaders. What I mean, obviously realignment kind of dominated the talk down there even though that wasn't intended uh you know it just kind of seems like by happenstance it took over the conference was that kind of the feel you got or what was kind of the prevailing topic from big 12 media day yeah sort of um well obviously the the, you know the discussion about baylor kind of (laughs) right right from the start uh made an imprint on things even even when it wasn't on purpose because uh commissioner bob bowlsby came out and introduced you know, new Baylor head coach, Jim Grobe is Al Grobe and said yeah. it several times. And, and, you know, and I, I thought he was taught, I thought I missed Al Grow, you know, former yeah, Virginia, Virginia Jets yeah. coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second, what team is he coaching now? But no, he was talking about Jim Grobe, but you know, past that misstep, you're right. Yeah. The, ex- the expansion and the talk of the uh, addition of the, of a true uh, conference championship game starting in 2017, that sort of kind of snowballed and, in terms of people asking about it more and kind of trying to get coaches opinions on things, which of course they pretended like they didn't have one uh, because they didn't want to ruffle feathers one way or the other, you know, talking about big 12 expansion was something that me and Woody talked a little bit about uh, a couple months ago when it was first brought up and they were talking about uh, is Cincinnati, the team is uh, Colorado state, the team, obviously, you know, Woody is interested in UCF's, (laughs) um, you know, possibility of, of joining a, a power five conference, you know, and they're in the mix too. So, uh, I, I, for the sake of the Big Twelve, and there was a little bit of talk about them wanting to, you know, get a get their own network going too. Whether it's, you know, kind of the traditional sense, like we've seen with ESPN doing with with the ACC and uh, SEC, or or something like 
you and me are more familiar with like the WWE network, for example, yeah, where maybe. <laughs> internet streaming. Um, but, but, but all of that kind of, you know, all of that sort of plays in together into one big, you know, pot of soup. Should we add a couple more teams? How, how, you know, because they were all real. The one thing that they were all really, really worried and concerned about is they didn't want to ruin the regular season uh, by playing multiple games for the sake of having a championship game and having that somehow further, uh, you know, ruin what's already kind of a, a messy, like sticky spot that we've seen cause like a Baylor or a TCU to have problems with this college football playoff in, in the past couple of seasons. Let's, let's touch on it a little bit from a recruiting standpoint, though, you know, try to keep it recruiting around here as much as we can. What sure. teams adding, I feel like adding UCF, as Woody has suggested in the past, would help that, I mean, that footprint, right? Like you'd want to be able to get into Florida a little bit. So if you, you can add UCF and strictly from a recruiting standpoint, you know, I'm not here to worry about television markets and all of that, which obviously play in, you know, money is the biggest factor. But if we're speaking strictly from a Rivals.com recruiting sense, you would think that adding a Houston would be not in anybody's best interest, considering everybody in that conference is already recruiting Texas. The last thing anybody wants, especially the Texas schools, would be to split that pie of uh, Texas recruits even, even more. And yeah. you know, Texas's president comes out on Twitter today and suggests that he supports Houston. I myself and f- a few other people believe that he did that just so the, like, you know, it was a Pontius Pilate move. You know, he washes his hands of the situation. So if they don't get the votes to get in, he still politically has put himself in a position to say, hey, look, we pushed for you. You just didn't get the votes. I don't think that Texas wants Houston in the Big 12. I don't think that serves them. Uh, I don't think it serves anybody. I think that going outside of the state of Texas and getting a new television market and other recruiting ground would, would serve them a little bit better. If you want to talk about television markets, though, I mean, Houston is, what, top three in the country or something like that? I mean, that's... Yeah, but don't they already like... I mean, but by having Texas and Texas A&M, you know, they already have a nice share of that Houston market. So I don't think it brings you a new television market. It might bring you a few new fans, but, you know, the well, fan base... The, I bet they're... But from the, from the perspective of a network situation, obviously, Texas A&M is belongs to the sec so you sure know, you're not you're not making anything on on them you know if anything you kind of want to that sort of helps the case for houston in that scenario uh you know kind of cutting into that and houston's obviously pumping a ton of money into their uh facility upgrades and their stadium upgrades i mean they they're they're really on overdrive there and part of that is probably you know the effort to to keep tom herman in the fold as well uh nobody do you wants think to see that texas before. wants do you think texas leadership actually wants houston in the big 12 or is that a some posturing you know, I've said it before. I would think that Texas and Oklahoma both probably feel like they they're immune to whatever you know changes sort of fall into place after uh, expansion happens. Uh, if it were to happen, I you know I that's something I asked Bob Stoops uh, during his breakout sessions after his after his conference. I, you know, I said, "Do you?" And he thought I was challenging him, of course, in typical Bob Stoops fashion, which of course I had no interest in doing whatsoever. Uh, but. You know, I, I asked him if, you know, he if he would be in favor of of expansion being that it's a, somewhat of a top heavy conference, especially in terms of wins and losses for Oklahoma. Why would you want to you know, why would you want to you know divide things up or add, add extra elements when you've already got a very good situation for yourself? And he said, yeah. hey, you know, whether whether there's 12, he basically said if there's 12 teams, 16 teams, 10 teams, eight teams, it doesn't affect me. I'm doing, you know. And and you wouldn't expect him to say anything different, but he, you know, he obviously maintained an air of confidence, you know, regardless of, you know, what gets added to the, you know, to the equation there. And I would think Texas probably feels the same way. 
um, you know, assuming that they're happy with the direction of their their football their football program in house too. You know, so boy, we will end on this. The Big Twelve, boy, if they do anything well, it's flip flopping, right? You know, it's every other year we're going to expand. We're not going to expand. We're going to expand. Well, maybe we're going to expand. Okay, we're going to expand. I, I don't know why they can't figure this out. I mean, it's everything's so reactive, like with them. Right. It's always yeah. been that way, and that's kind of what's got them in the situation that they're in. Is they've sat around and reacted to everything instead of being proactive while other teams were poaching the Missouri and the A&Ms and the Colorados and the Nebraskas of the world, they should have been out raiding other conferences. But now it's too late. They've gotten labeled as kind of the, you know, the, the, the bottom feeder of the Power Five conferences. And now they're going <laughs> they're the ones having to bring these other mid-major types up uh, in expansion because, you know, they're not going to be able to poach from another power conference anymore. We will see. It's obviously an ongoing uh, discussion and an unfolding situation here. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. Meanwhile, the biggest issue at SEC Media Day are coaches still crying about satellite camps, which, you know, I mean, boy, we can't get enough of those things, right? And, you know, I, I kind of brought it up because I wrote some things uh, about satellite camps from there. I think my take on the whole situation from there was nobody likes these things, but yet they're continuing to do them because now they feel like if they don't, people are going to think they're not trying hard enough to recruit. But it's all a big facade because they'll tell you we're not really using these things to discover talent. Uh, Kentucky, you know, Stoops, Mark Stoops was so blatant about it. I really appreciated how, you know, forthright he was when I asked him about, you know, did I asked him straight up, did you get anything out of the satellite camps you guys hosted? And he just said no. You know, he made it seem like it was a waste of everybody's time, that they would rather have the kids on campus. And the only reason they did them is because everybody else was doing them and that they felt like they needed to. Uh, for whatever reason, um, it's it's really quite a situation where everybody is just begrudgingly doing these things. Uh, even Brett Boy. Bilma, who says they're going to expand to do more, said, you know, they're a giant pain and he doesn't necessarily like doing them, but he feels like they has to. So Jim Harbaugh has really ruined everybody's lives. The media don't like covering these things. I think maybe people in the SEC don't like them. I'm sure. I mean, they benefit the, the Michigans of the world and, you know, the Nebraskas of the world are people that maybe aren't in as fertile recruiting grounds as some of these Southeastern teams. But boy, reporters, coaches, everybody's miserable. Nobody likes these things. Well, I know, uh, you know, here here in Texas, uh, I went to one that was run in part with uh, Oklahoma State and Arizona State. Um, the coaches there seem to be into it, you know, uh, I don't, I, but, but, you know the implications of of these camps has been well discussed on this on this show and others. The you know I, I it wasn't talked about too definitively at at the Big Twelve media days. Although Cliff Kingsbury did uh, you know have maybe the most concrete hardline quote of the press conferences about the satellite camps and. They are relevant to him because being out in Lubbock, you're separated from the rest of Texas. You have to work a little bit harder. It's an upcoming program with a young coach. There's a lot to like about what's going on in Texas Tech. But he said getting the brand out to Austin, getting it to Dallas, getting it to Houston, these satellite camps are sort of a necessary evil. But he he said flat out in no uncertain terms, having 800 kids there for a couple hours doesn't help him at all because they don't they can't make heads or tails of it. You know, even even them as the staff that's out there. So. You know, it's. It, I mean, if you, I suppose, you know, given that specific uh, case study right there that that I just laid out, if you're doing it for a PR point perspective, 
you know, simple branding with the kids just to just to say if you show up with like a cool T-shirt and you give them a T-shirt at the camp and it's just no and you look at it strictly as a marketing campaign for yourself. And it's and for a school like Texas Tech or in Oklahoma State that's trying to build uh, a little bit more of a, of a reputation amongst these kids that in an area that's dominated by the Texases and the Oklahomas and the A&Ms, you know, that definitely works in their favor. If you're already at the top of the scrap heap, you know, it's no wonder Nick Saban couldn't care less about him, you know? Even though they're doing them too. Saban himself hasn't been to one, but his staff is sure going to these things, these conjunction camps with other schools. Anyway, you know, the approval rating of these things is, you know, right alongside that of a root canal. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's about what I got out of it. And the other, obviously the other really big topic of SEC media day was, you know, everybody lobbing their best questions at Hugh Freeze about the possible recruiting violations and the NCAA investigation. And, you know, I thought he handled it incredibly well. Um, yeah, he was as forthright. Yeah, he really did. He was as forthright as you can expect. And I'll say this for you. I don't know if he intentionally broke recruiting rules. I don't much care if he intentionally broke recruiting rules. It does not bother me either way. I just assume everybody's cheating and, you know, some people are just better at getting away with it. But he convinced me that he at least talked like a guy that doesn't think he did, he's done anything wrong. So he's either a very, very, very good liar or he really doesn't believe or know that he's done much wrong. Um, surely some things happened under his watch and I think everybody's kind of conceived to that at this point. But I don't think he, – he did not have the demeanor of a man that brazenly broke – intentionally broke rules. Uh, whether he did or not, I don't know. But he did a very good job of convincing me that possibly he did not. That's so interesting that you say that because – you know, sort of on a on a different on a different level and, and a different level of severity and circumstances. When you know, when Jim Grobe came out and gave his press conference, uh, you know, he answered he answered probably fewer questions than everybody else, any other coach that came up and took that stage because he talked slow and he talked deliberately and he sounded he sounded good and he sounded confident. The words that he said, depending on you know which quote you pull out. Sometimes the media got after. I one thing that they really came down on him at, on is he said. He he just said flat out, "There's not a, a culture of bad behavior at Baylor," which well. he he just got murdered for. But honestly, I think from his perspective, because that came on the heels of him talking about his relationship with a coach that had been uh, T, Coach TF uh, Grant TF, I think is the is the guy's name. He was coaching. boy, but that comes out like right before Oakman gets gets charged with with rape. <laughs> you want oh, to talk about? Yeah, well, yeah, but but from Grubb's perspective, he was talking about. I I I think that he was talking about. There was not a culture of bad behavior at Baylor going back to the start of the institution. You know, oh, that's sure. Not, yeah. That doesn't that doesn't count. You know, that's not what you're here for. That's not what you got hired. You know, but oh. but just but from his tone and his demeanor and the way that he the way that he you know kept his chin up and you know didn't shy away from the questions. I mean, what, whether whatever his level of culpability is going forward or wh- whatever they told him to say or however he feels about things, he definitely put on the face that you would want, you know, your figurehead to, you know, to put on in front of a the public like that. So, Boy, and, you know, the other side of this, and, you know, I, I like Dan Mullen as much as anybody. He's been on this show before. Uh, I think he's a really great guy. I don't think that he's intentionally done anything wrong. But he, boy, he did not, he did not do well addressing the Jeffrey Simmons domestic violence stuff. Um, he did a little bit of a good job of isolating himself from it by saying, Hey, only suspending this guy for a game was a university decision. I didn't make the call, which is fine, but he's got to come off the, this is a family and we don't want to kick somebody out of the family. You know, we, we believe I, yeah. that, that kind of came off as trite, I think, and a little bit fake. Um, I mean, but you know, at the same time, <laughs> it, 
you can only, I mean, he did wash his hands of it. Like I, it was interesting to watch him kind of pass the blame. And I, I mean, obviously it might not have been his decision the way he put it. it this came from above him. Uh, but you know, he didn't do his, his approval ratings were also not great. Uh, he got murdered in the press. Uh, he was going to anyway for that suspension. And, you know, I just don't think he handled it, uh, incredibly well. Somebody asked him what would happen if it was his wife or daughter, which was an aggressive question, but you know, a fair enough question to be asked, I guess. Uh, I, I don't really remember, recall his response. I think he said it would never would be, which is a weird response to that. Um, but yeah, that, that was the other, that was the other prevailing issue from SEC media day. You know, sometimes these coaches are so good it, going, going back to what we were talking about with expansion and, and the, co- and the coaches saying, you know, my, my opinion doesn't, doesn't matter if I had one and just kind of sidestepping things wherever they can. Sometimes he kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't, whatever reporter asked Dan Mullen that, you know, I mean, sometimes if you're really trying to get to the heart of the, you know, the issue at hand and you have to come across as being a little uncomfortable with your, your question, you know, I suppose that's, you know, that's the strategy to, to take. Uh, and if he continues to sidestep it and further makes himself look bad because of it, you know, that's the choice that, that he makes. But I mean, in the court of public opinion, I mean, I certainly, it's certainly no secret what your, <laughs> what your stance is on the, on the matter, I don't think, but, but it shouldn't, you know, it's not unjust, right. And it's not one that, and it's one that a lot of people share too. So, uh, you know, it's really, it's really interesting and, and it's tough for these coaches that, shouldn't be asked to have to handle situations like this because really they're just they they're just there to do one thing and that's win football. Games, yeah, but you know? this this is this is where I get frustrated though. Because you can't have it both ways and I agree with you they are there to win football games. But and this is a big but. Let's not let's let's spare the the speeches that they give that you know how coaches are. They love to advertise themselves as leader of men and molder of young minds. And you and I and anybody else with half a brain knows that's BS. They just want to win football games no matter what. So you can't build yourself up with this like, I'm here for the kids bravado. Uh, and then when something gets hard and it's time to, you know, actually do that, hide behind. You know, I'm just here to win games. Right. Uh, you can't have it both ways. And it, coaches love that stuff, man. They love to talk about how, you know, I just want to make an impact on kids' lives. and But only when it's convenient, right? I mean, it's not right. it's, it's, it's not something they're always doing. You know, here's here's what I know. I've seen uh, I've seen a few pictures recently of, uh, you know, coaches hosting pool parties at their house with the kids and, you know, on, on that are already on the football team, which I'm uh, assuming is is – uh, allowed team procedure in the yeah, NCAA have, have, rule. Yeah, it is. That, that's something just, that's happened. Have, have you just, seen a picture of Bill Snyder in a speedo by any chance? If you're looking, no, I haven't seen that, and I, I wasn't looking for one either. So okay. I just wondered. <laughs> yeah, I would like to know what the Bill Snyder pool party is like. But but you know, hey, listen. Just if we can have more pool parties at coaches' houses and keep the kids out of trouble, then then we really are you know hitting on all the all the things that we claim to be as football coaches <laughs> and leaders of men, right? You know? Yeah, that, that's the key to molding young men is more pool parties. I like I you know I like Bill Snyder. He's another guy that did that did a pretty nice job too. But I just know he's a favorite of yours, so I was real I was real interested to see why you liked the best. Here's the thing with Bill, and I spent a very long time covering Bill. I think Bill is a phenomenal head football coach. I think Bill is a nice guy. I get along with Bill. Uh, you know, you know, when I see him out in Manhattan or I used to run into him at restaurants, you know, he was always very good and, you know, we'd laugh and, he, you know, he'd ask about my life and a really good guy by all stretch of the imagination. Bill is impossible to work with. If you are a reporter trying to do your job, 
Bill intentionally makes it very, very hard for you to do your job. It's, you know, doesn't talk about injuries. He closes practice. He threatens his assistants if they talk to the media off the record. So that place is locked up. It is not an easy place for a reporter uh, whatsoever. And that creates some friction, I think. And it always has. It's been a little bit better in his second go about uh, than reportedly it was in his first. I was not old enough to be covering him when he was there the first time. But I guess he's gotten a little bit more lax. I was very shocked that he's on Twitter now. That's an interesting. That's an interesting development. I never thought I would see. Has he been a good follow? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, but unintentionally. It's funny in the way like your o- oldest uncle is funny. Or like <laughs> he had about a couple weeks ago, where so he, like he tried to post a picture, and only the thumbnail came up. You know how you feel like you have to like receive. <laughs> It, it went, and he thought that it had cropped his family out of the picture and it was only showing the sky. And the, like there was a series of tweets. And one of, one of the last ones that he couldn't figure out was, I'll go get somebody to help me. <laughs> was, I mean, it was amazing, man. It was maybe the best series of tweets I've seen from a football coach. Oh, wow, boy. And, you know, time is so important to these football coaches. We cannot lose a minute. So to be sitting there struggling with Twitter like that over a family picture must have killed him. And you just wanted to be like, Bill, all you have to do is click the tweet and it'll expand. It's not – Whitney Whitney Snyder, your daughter, has not disappeared from the photo. She's in there, I promise. Boy, he can still coach though. I'll tell you what. I mean, that guy, that guy's done some pretty amazing things. I don't want to, I don't want to minimize Bill Snyder and, and just make him some like babbling old man because he's not, because he's a very good football coach. But it is very, very funny to watch him try to interact with technology. He once told me that him and Mac Brown Skype together from time to time, which is just an amazing mental image too. Those two talking to each other through cameras on their laptops. Well, I mean, if you, you know, if the if the people listening to this podcast right now heard half of the conference calls that we have when all the analysts get together, I mean, I can't imagine that it would be too much worse than when <laughs> Adam Gordy's computer is echoing constantly and some other people Oh, yeah, burping. I mean, <laughs> there's there're definitely some 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 people that are not old enough to be so clueless about technology on this national staff that boy, they it's like they might as well be 60 when they're really like 38 or however old some of these guys are. Man, we okay. So we're really throwing some people under the bus, and and go, going back, if well, just to wrap that section of the show up, is there anything, any final thoughts that you might have had about Hugh Freeze, considering all the, you know, things swirling around him at the time? Yeah, I, I wonder how it's going to. We can talk about this a little bit. I, I wondered how it's going to affect recruiting um, if this drags on. Like I know how it'll affect it if they get a bull ban. That's not really a question. That will hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. I know how it will affect it if the decision comes out and nothing really happens and it's a slap on the wrist and maybe they lose a couple scholarships. Mm-hmm. What I don't know is what if this drags out for another three months uh, <laughs> and there's no resolution? Like that, that might be the worst thing that could happen outside of a bull ban, right? Is I'll have this uncertainty where you don't really know what the penalty is uh, and still trying to recruit kids there that are going to ask those hard questions. And there's no way Hugh Freeze with any kind of straight face can tell them, oh, it's going to be fine. Because he doesn't know. I mean, even if he didn't break rules, which I don't think that he thinks that he did, uh, you know, <laughs> boosters and assistants and everything else. I mean, he doesn't know what happened yet. I mean, he's nope. got the notice of allegations, but he doesn't know what's going to be proven and what's not going to be proven. It's going to be real tough to sell that program if something doesn't come down soon. Well, that's exactly, you know, and that's exactly the same the same problem that I think uh, Jim Grobe has at Baylor. And fortunately for me, I, did you ask any did you ask any questions in the in like the town hall, like the. Yeah, main. yeah, yeah. I talked to Butch Jones a little bit, and uh, so I mean, did you get did you get on the mic and and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For, oh, yeah, but not not to, not to Hugh. Uh, he was getting peppered too bad, and I didn't. It wasn't my spot. I let the beat reporters get get to Hugh, but uh, some of the other guys, yeah. 
Well, I got my last, my last, the last question asked of Jim Grobe came from yours truly. And I asked him just that question, essentially like, you know, listen, you had to let go a certain number of guys out of the 2016 class that assigned letters of intent. You obviously have lost all but one of your 2017 commits to this point right now. They just had uh, a Friday night lights event where they, they offered a, a couple of kids and there, and from my experience, there's been a lot of kids sort of playing the wait and see game with Baylor, but that's something that you know. That's something that the the staff is playing too. They don't know what the final resolution is going to be, uh, with whatever implications are going to come along with that. You know, wh- whether it's from the NCAA, the Big Twelve, who, you know, the school itself again, self-imposing more penalties. None of that stuff is known yet and won't be. And I think when you when, you know when you're talking about scholarship reductions, he said that they plan to fill a class of 25 this year, which is understandable because by the time they get everything sorted out, they wouldn't be able to levy a penalty until the following season probably because the and that's maybe similar to what's going to happen with Ole Miss but but how do you ask it how do you ask a kid that that is halfway as knowledgeable about the situation you know sure come come along this year the, you know the for the first year that you're there probably going to be okay but then for the next you know two to three uh who knows you know yeah and I've always said this and it's true perception is everything in recruiting uh, whether you are or you're not, it doesn't matter. It's what you're perceived to be. And if you're perceived to be unstable or it's perceived to be uncertain times, then it is uncertain times, whether it is or not. I mean, that perception is what drives recruits, I think. Uh, and, you know, that's uh, and going back to what we were just talking about with Bill Snyder. You know, I was talking to a prospect that was considering Kansas State today, actually, uh, at Florida State's camp. And he said the reason that he's not going to pick Kansas State is because, you know, he can't consider them because it's uncertain who the head coach is going to be. You know, Bill's age is really used against him in recruiting. And they're perceived as an uncertain place right now because there is an old head coach, uh, you know, for different reasons, obviously. Old Miss and Baylor are perceived as uncertain places right now. And until there's a resolution, it's going to be tough. Yeah. So we'll just we'll just have to wait and see. That's that, There's definitely another... A uh, couple of uh, dozen of podcasts coming up in the future, <laughs> based on what's going to end up happening with with Ole Miss and Baylor to come. I'm sure. So, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. All right. Well, should we move into everybody's favorite segment of the show, which is rants and recommendations? Which, uh, unless you have something else you want to touch on from Big Ten Media Day or beyond, or Big Twelve Media Day or beyond, or we want to talk about more coaches and swimsuits. Uh, did you say? Did you say you wanted to bring up something about Tennessee? Yeah, but I mean, I think that it's it's pretty well. I mean, I wrote a very long story about it. And everybody else has written. Plug your it. story. Just, plug your story. It's, let's it's, see. It, let's... Basically, yeah, I wrote a, a. I asked some Tennessee players and, and Butch Jones about kind of the turning point of the season. You can find it on the website. I posted it over on VolQuest. They do a great job over there. The guys that cover the team day to day. It is, and the, the way that they've recruited and the way they finished last year has turned this into the beginning of an era that's going to define Butch Jones at Tennessee. They have their, you know, they're, they're picked to win their division in the SEC by the media. Uh, and, you know, there, there will be consequences for, for, you know, underperforming. I think he's not going to get fired. This isn't, this isn't the end of the line, no matter what. But I think that this is going to show which way that trajectory is going to go. Uh, this is either going to, after the season is over, this is going to be perceived as a team that's returning to relevance, or it's going to be perceived as a team that is underachieving despite recruiting at a very high level, uh, I think public opinion is going to shift dramatically one way or the next because of this year. And once public opinion starts to shift on you, it's hard to battle the tide. Yeah. Especially in place like Tennessee, right? As we all yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> as, as our, as our friend Woody Womack knows, it is yeah. Woody Womack is perceived to be the devil on the Tennessee, uh, in, in some Tennessee circles, in which case that does make him the devil in some Tennessee circles. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I guess I guess maybe the other thing too that 
Not not something that I have any any sort of uh, supporting anecdotes to. I was really imp- uh, I I don't know if impressed is the right word. I was really I was really interested just uh, listening to uh, TCU coach Gary Patterson talk and just listening to him, uh, you know, talk about the program and the direction of it and the, w- what his expectations are for for the team in the upcoming season. And there was a lot of chatter about uh, what his feelings were towards. Uh, Baylor and, and you know and sort of his response to what was being asked about it but I think coming into this season you know coach Patterson really if you want to talk about it, it may be not quite the same sort of thing that Butch Jones is dealing with but I mean now with Baylor out of the picture if you're TCU and, and Texas still has something to prove this year with a lot of coaching turnover you know if TCU can topple Oklahoma this year and uh you know they have as good a chance as any to you know to represent the conference uh for whatever form that may take at the end of the season but uh I think he knows that and he's excited about it and I was just really uh I really enjoyed uh listening to him you know, Yeah no he's engaging he for sure he's a funny guy too I've dealt with him a couple times I, he's he's enjoyable to work with for sure Okay all right well, so, you have a recommendation or a rant this week do you have both we'll let you go first uh, you know, I don't have a, uh, a, a serious, meaningful rant. I, I will say that I do have a fantastic recommendation, though, and I don't know if this is going to end up specifically applying to people that live in Texas like myself right now. But uh, as you as you know, you, uh, you're familiar with Bucky's gas stations, correct? I am. Uh-huh, I am. We love the, you know, I mean, you know, boy, oh boy, since... Since I stepped foot onto one of those things, it's been love at first sight. And, you know, my trips between here in Houston and here in Dallas, I know the Bucky's that I'm going to stop out in Temple and Bastrop. And uh, I always make a point to do so. I find something that I need to get. But lately, and I have a pack sitting right here. You can hear it on the mic. And boy, oh boy, I found something called Hanamax Baking Crunchy Cookie Chips. And they come in a variety of flavors, and I've never seen them sold anywhere else except Bucky's. Wait, wait, that's the that's the best name they could come up for with these things. It's not exactly that's not exactly doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. It <laughs> Say that one more time. Well, okay, no, they're just called crunchy cookie chips, but which oh, I God. guess you're right. There's not a spectacular name at all, but it gets yeah, it gets straight to the point. <laughs> I mean, I guess you know what you're getting, but it, but it's, it's except no, I brand. don't. I, I actually I just thought about that. I don't have any idea what those possibly look like. <laughs> all right, so okay, so so. This this is so. This is them, right? So they're basically they're they're all the they're all the flavor and enjoyability, sweetness and uh, crunch and texture of a cookie, just in a thinner, crunchier form. And they're delicious. The pack that I have sitting in front of me right now is cinnamon sugar. It's doused in cinnamon sugar on top. I mean, it is. What you're so what you're describing is stale cookie chips. Like scale. they're not stale. They're not stale. They're definitely they're definitely crunchy, crispy. And I'm not. I'm definitely a, by nature a soft baked guy, but these things. Have in in the form that they are it just works for me. The chocolate chip ones are delicious. The salted peanut butter ones are probably my least favorite. Not bad, but just by comparison to the other ones, boy oh boy, I I can't I can't tell I can't speak highly enough of these things. And I'm anxious to see uh, if if my endorsement of Hannah Max baking just propels them to the stratosphere <laughs> and they come out with new new things for me to enjoy, new confections. If you go to well, Bucky's, go pick up some cookie chips and think of yeah, me. I was say, so Nick's, <laughs> Nick's, recommend, Nick's recommendation is burnt cookie crumbs. That's <laughs> what it sounds like, and, and that's fine. I, you know, I said I, I had a recommendation. I can get to that. It's real short and outdated. Maybe we'll skip it. But I do have a little bit of a rant that you reminded me of. And okay. I, I, I noted this in my, my uh, takeaways, my column from uh, SEC Media Day. Greg Sankey, bless him, but so he gives this opening speech – 
where he's talking about all these players and, you know, how some of them have done these mission trips and saved lives. And, you know, one guy from some school works for Habitat for Humanity and has helped build all these houses that host these, these, uh, these homeless people. And, and somebody else's great uncle, you know, escaped Israel during a revolution and yada, 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 and all these like great things. And in the middle of this, <laughs> he, he points out in the same breath as builds homes for Habitat for Humanity and goes on mission trips, decides to throw in there that Miles Garrett has deleted his social media accounts. I, I, I see. Uh, I know. I don't. This narrative that not having a Twitter makes you like somehow virtuous or like a good person, or I don't. I, I don't know when we decided to correlate these two things, and it's probably stems from old people thinking millennials are narcissistic or whatever. So, you know, and Twitter is evil because it stands for narcissism, and if you don't have one, then that makes you a good person. But I, I, it's not true. Like it's just I, I can't imagine that any. It's the laziest narrative. And these writers and these old people that perpetuate it, there are plenty of really good people on Twitter and probably plenty of really bad people that aren't on Twitter and the two things are not related. And to try to even push this thing insults my intelligence. When he said that, I like audibly laughed. (laughs) I I couldn't. I, I, boy, you want to talk, and I, he's not the only one. It's, this isn't a Greg Sankey narrative. Like, this is an old person narrative, really, is what it feels like. Is you never hear anybody under the age of 50 uh, pushing that one. Well, here's, here's the deal, right? So, uh, you know, as a personality on Twitter, you, you know, depending on just your overall level of popularity, you'll be considered a, a good person, varying level of good person. It's, it's not, it's, it's not as easy to, to come across as being a, a great, good virtuous person as you pointed out on twitter but it's it's really easy to look like a a complete idiot on twitter very quickly (laughs) and get yourself into trouble in a hurry so you know even though it's not building houses for you know the less fortunate it's definitely and and i don't know miles garrett obviously uh you know i i saw him we we saw him at the under armor game i think the year that he played in it, that was sure. the extent of my dealing with him. I have no my idea issue, what kind of my guy issue is. isn't with Miles Garrett. I'm sure Miles Garrett is a very good person, but it's not because he doesn't have a social media account. Like that has nothing to do with. It's just so. I mean, I could be a a mass murderer, and if I don't have a social media account, that makes me okay. Or like, I don't, I don't. I don't yeah, it doesn't make. Well, it depends sense. on if you're verified or not. I suppose which that's you are. True. So, yeah. duh. Come on, I'm not some <laughs> kind of loser peon like the listeners to this podcast. <laughs> or or a co-host that's on the mic right now it, yeah not verified. Oh, wait you're not oh man you are a loser peon you probably fly southwest too i i got news for you they said they they, they said change they said change the twitter handle and we'll think about it and i said are you kidding me this is part of my identity at this point right now you know See, that's yeah, that's what the cards. kids call that's that's what the kids call keeping it 100 right there Kruger. that's right i kept it 100 all over that conversation to myself you know <laughs> <laughs> well all right man i guess that does it for us uh you know a big thanks to m deuce whose music you are listening to right now a big shout to woody womack who may or may he's not gr- ever he's re- grinding <laughs> right now in louisiana we will give him a pass i know he I've, i verified he's dropped the pin he's in louisiana we know he's he's alive doing something uh, Man, he had a later. he had a real bout with a migraine last night. He was telling me he was throwing up in a bathtub. So you know, I, we 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 like to tease Woody when he's not on the show, but I think he's got a pretty good excuse this time because boy, being deathly sick in Baton Rouge sounds like just about the worst time I can imagine. Man, and our voices wouldn't help a migraine whatsoever. I can tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 
All right, Rob. Well, all right. Next week, uh, tune in for more coaches and swimsuits.